0: For the very first time in the history of Homo sapiens, we are asking people of different cultures in different continents
1: to agree. Climate change is a fact. All the evidence suggests climate the change is The coastline of
0: South Florida is going to be pushed considerably it inland. Make inland. Make our, our politics, politics, the event will be the new about climate global change.
1: climate change, climate change, climate change is to blame. No one is addressing it. Time for talking
0: is gone. It's we elephant. need. It energy. is the elephant in the room that we don't want to talk about
1: hey guys it's kevin how are you um it's been a while but um i haven't disappeared completely although i haven't been updating the podcast i've been working on season two which i'll update you about later uh and i'm actually here in marrakech morocco as part of cop 22 i don't know about you guys but last week the election of donald trump left me in a bit of a hole of despair you know things were already looking pretty difficult with climate change we already had so little time to get our emissions down in order to have a chance of averting really terrible consequences from happening and now now america has just put someone in charge who seems to deny reality at every corner you know not only has trump called climate change a hoax invented by the chinese He also happens to be a racist, misogynist, and threat to the basic democratic institutions of the U.S. Trump has promised to withdraw America from the Paris Agreement and to essentially tear apart the Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, the American government agency responsible for regulating greenhouse gas emissions. And if that wasn't enough, the climate-denying Republican Party will soon control all three branches of government, This means that climate action, at at least the official federal level in America, will grind to a halt. And that resistance at the legislative level will be extremely difficult. In this new context, suddenly our own actions on climate change can seem so impossibly small and futile. One thing's for sure, our work on climate change just got that much harder. Anyways, as I mentioned, I'm here in Marrakech, Morocco. I'm here for COP22. Or the conference of the parties this is the follow-up to the all-important paris talks last year where the world came together in an effort to avert runaway climate change and came up with an agreement however imperfect to keep temperatures from rising above two degrees but with this new dark cloud looming over us that is donald trump i wanted to try to find someone who could speak to what trump's election really means What does it mean for the climate movement? And what should those of us concerned about reality, science, and justice do next? So to help me answer these questions, I caught up with Nicholas Hanger. He's an organizer and campaigner for the influential climate activist group, 350.org. And before we get to the interview, I just wanted to update you about the podcast itself. Season two is coming, by the way. We're just getting the early stages going at this point but we're working on pre-production and we'll be getting underway with full production soon, which means that we will have new episodes for you in a few months' time. So hang tight, and I hope you're looking forward to that. In the meantime, back to Marrakesh. And here's my conversation with Nicholas Hanger at 350.org.
0: I'm Nicholas Hanger. I'm a campaigner at 350.org and also part of our uh, COP22 team. So how's your time been here so far at at COP22? Crazy would be uh, the good word to describe it. Um, I think the Trump election kind of created a climate of sadness uh, and shock. Um, But I think it's very important not to use um, the Trump election uh, as an excuse for political inaction. And I think this is what states have done here whereby we, on the movement side, have proven to be quite resilient because on the day after Trump's election, people from the US and from all over the world gathered and said, well, actually, we are going to keep on mobilizing because when it comes to climate and to many other things, actually, uh, the true power doesn't belong in the hands of one single man, as powerful as he is, but in, within the hands of people. And so we need to mobilize even more than we did in the past but well, we also reflect on our strategies, outreach, alliances, but we need to keep on fighting. And so um, I think the main lesson, lesson from, from this COP is that uh, true leadership are the true champions, because, you know, in the UNFCCC jargon we speak about climate champions. But the true climate cha- champions are those in Rock who are fighting against the uh, uh, Dakota Access Pipeline, not
1: negotiators and, of course, not Donald Trump. So you were here when the election results came through? I was here, yeah. Yeah. What was the what was the mood like?
0: Um. I think quite a few people expected um, that result. Um, quite a few
1: people expected Trump to win.
0: Yes. Uh, so so the, so the first reaction was a shock. Is this really happening? And is it meaningful to be here in Marrakech while uh, Trump? just won the election and, and, and then when you think about it a few, for a few seconds and talk to people from the movement then you realize that actually yes it does make sense to be here because then you have the we had the amazing opportunity to talk from to movements from all over the world about our strategies and the first thing that of course is important is to also realize that Trump is just the last avatar of a world that is being led by authoritarianism by rising racism fascism sexism so it's not just about trump i mean from brazil to turkey from uh, south africa to maybe soon austria um, from russia to maybe soon france the progressive agenda is not really uh, winning any longer at least in the political sphere. But it doesn't mean we have to give up on the movement for sphere. And so meeting with all those people was truly amazing. And yesterday, uh, so on on Thursday, we had um, a global assembly of movements from all over the world, which is probably the first global assembly since Trump was elected, where we could talk about strategies and say, well, actually we are against Trump and his world, because Trump's world, and which is also the world of the fossil fuel industry, is a world that the planet cannot support any longer. So for the planet to survive, we have to change the world. It's not just about Trump, it goes beyond him. And being here with people from all over the world is a good way to like, take a step aside and look at the bigger picture, which is incredibly difficult, of course, uh, um, in this situation. But, but looking at the b- bigger picture is also a source of hope because then you can see that you are not alone. We are not alone fighting. The people in the US are not alone fighting against Trump. There's a whole movement
1: across the world that does the same thing fights against trump and his world you know we were already in a very difficult position as you know with the the math of how quickly we would hypothetically need to cut in order to make two degrees achievable and i mean a lot of people have said we can basically say goodbye to that now so what do you feel now like do you think that two degrees is still achievable given that He's just promised to drill baby drill, basically, and to rip up every climate action that Obama had put into place. So two degrees is still achievable, and 1.5 is still achievable, too.
0: Uh, And I think that somehow um, Trump election kind of, it's a bit of paradox, but, but Trump's election comes with a clarification for the climate movement. Because if Trump is to do what he said he would do, which is drill, drill and drill, drill, baby drill. Um, Then basically the carbon budget for the rest of the world dropped to zero. So, So this is really a call, a reminder that inaction has a huge cost and that uh, the fight against climate change is not only about how many uh, uh, emissions are we going to project in the atmosphere in 2050 and how we should transition from 2030 to 2050 to become carbon neutral. It's about decisions that we make now. For example, to freeze any new fossil fuel development. And this can happen now, with or without Trump. I mean, France can decide to freeze new fossil fuel developments. Germany can decide to freeze new fossil fuel developments. United Kingdoms can decide to freeze new fossil fuel developments. So what would that mean? mean? Well, just to say, okay, we clearly say that no one is allowed in our territory, inland or offshore, to drill, uh, uh, be it for exploitation or exploration. No new fossil fuel developments. Why is that? Because we know, we have new data, that the the oil and gas fields that are already in production are big enough to drive us above 1.5 degrees. And if we add to those oil and gas fields the coal mines that are already in production, we will be way above the 2 degrees. So the first con- consequence of that is no new fossil fuel development is possible. And the second consequence is a managed decline of the fossil fuel industry. The more we wait, the biggest it will be a shock. But we can still anticipate. And we can do that without... Trump's agreement. We don't need to beg Donald Trump for an authorization to freeze fossil fuel extraction in France. He has not the power to rule over France's industrial policy. He has not the power to rule over Germany's industrial policy, over Russia's industrial policy, over Japan's industrial policy, over Australia's industrial policy, nor on the policy of countries from the global south. And this is exactly what today, uh, the climate vulnerable forum did so. Forty-seven states just announced that they would com- that that they were committing to transition to 100% renewable energy between 2030
1: and 2050. I read an article that you wrote along with uh, your colleague Tazio Mueller, just over there, um, and in it you said that we need less of these things, cops, and more endegolendas, or mass yeah. mass actions. Can you explain why you think that's the case? So <clears throat>
0: we added um, a but to that sentence. We say we need less of these things and more endegolendas, or maybe uh, to try and embrace all these things in one movement. Why is that? The first thing is somehow from a movement perspective, it's a bit weird to be for two weeks of the cop. It's like during those two weeks, we would stop doing what we do. Like stop working, stop organizing, stop, stop mobilizing, and be in the nitty-gritty of the discussions, of the talks. Of course, it's not in vain, it's not useless, because what we do here is to try to echo the work that we do and the work that communities on the front lines do on a day-to-day basis, on the outside. But of course, we also know that um, states won't act if we don't you know, push them to act. States are very good at talking and there have been some nice speeches, I must say you know on uh, the front of climate over the last years, but we need action and and states don't act themselves it's always a movement that creates conditions for the states to be obliged to act so this is what what we want to do and and how do we do that? We do that by blocking infrastructures that's the first thing because we have to defend those territories, not because we are nasty leftists who like to do civil civil disobedience because you know we like intensity and we're a bit romantic, so we like that, you know, confrontation with the police per se. No, not at all. It's just because we take the Paris Agreement very seriously. The Paris Agreement is a law that states have have defined. This law says that the international community commits to maintain global warming well below two degrees and will try to reach the 1.5 ambition. We take that very seriously. And since states don't take that seriously, well, we do their job. We're blocking the infrastructures. Of course, we cannot block them with the same tools than states, like blocking permits. So we use our bodies to do that. And that's very important because actually what we do is legal. We are
1: implementing the Paris Agreement. They are not. Do you think that the election might actually encourage more people to be willing to put their bodies on the line, given that it's so clear that, you know, now the world's most responsible country for climate change is is going to do nothing at an official capacity
0: i think that there are many ways to put uh, one's body on the line of course that the possibility to like go in a pit and block the coal mine there's a possibility to be uh, in North Dakota and to be with standing rock people but maybe some people cannot do that because they are afraid because they are black because they are Muslim and they know that they will be targeted stronger with Trump because they have disabilities because they I don't know because they are single mothers and have kids home but you can do things even from home so there are many different versions of what putting your body on the front line means and then there's also a necessity to acknowledge that there are already millions of bodies on the front line so what we do when we go in a pit and block a coal mine is just to echo the work that others do it's just to increase that but yeah i think uh i'm sure you know that after the the shock of trump's election uh, um, all over the world people are going to show that they can stand in solidarity and that we will define new ways of organizing new tactics to really make sure that Trump's mandate doesn't end up in a catastrophe for the movement. I was born to activism uh, during the global justice movement the very first years of the global justice movement sometimes between the Zapatista insurrection uprising uh, in '94 and the Seattle protests in 1999. We were genuinely winning we were uh, tackling the hegemony of the neoliberal agenda. We were blocking the WTO. We were blocking trade agreements. Yet there was a backlash, a setback, very fast. It, became, uh, it, 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 it began uh, with the election of George W. Bush. And then, of course, there were the attacks, and then there was a whole setback in the movement. And a few years after that, three to four years ago, the climate movement started to grow. We were gain- gaining momentum. We are winning. We are genuinely believing that we are going to you know, win that fight uh, uh, to make, to, 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 to throw the fossil fuel industry back into the past. And we can't afford letting the election of Donald Trump being what the election of George W. Bush wa- was for the global justice movement. The good news is that we have the experience of what happened 10 years ago, 15 years ago. So we need to build on that experience. One of the things that we learned from that is that During the global justice movement, we were believing that we were winning because we had no limits. We were were chanting, we are unstoppable, another world is possible. We were also saying we want everything for everyone, the world has no limits. Now we have learned that we have limits, you know, that we can't grow and grow and grow because it is going to destroy the planet. And, and, And we are trying, and I think we are almost achieving, to build a progressive agenda, an emancipatory agenda from the recognition of limits which is something very new, very strong and and this is what's at stake at Standing Rock. It's not just people who resist against an infrastructure, it's people who try to experiment how we should live, how we should be together, how we should organize, how we should dream, how we should love, how we should talk, how we should maybe fight, how we should disagree, how we should agree in this new era of climate change. And so, the solidarity with the Standing Rock people is not just because of the no that they carry, but also because of the many yeses that they share, that they shout, and that they experiment.
1: In that article that that I mentioned that you wrote, you also spoke about how Trump's election kind of showed that we live in a post-truth society yep. right he said all these ridiculous things uh, he would change his opinion sometimes multiple times within two two days he would say things like Mexico's gonna pay for the wall or he would just deny that he said things when he was on video saying them just the week before so what do you think there is for us in the climate movement to learn from that um,
0: so clearly Trump changed his mind several times there's one thing that is sure though is he always stayed a climate denier a sexist a racist misogyne a violent man a dangerous man but i think it's not a coincidence precisely that he is all of them at the same time actually you can't be a climate denier and a feminist or you can't be a, a sexist and someone who wants bold climate action it comes together and so somehow you know, we. In the movement, we spoke more and more about this idea of intersectionality, which is the idea that uh, we have to stand in solidarity with all forms of oppression, because eventually they land on the same people. And so that we are all privileged and oppressed. And so even if I am oppressed, I'm also oppressing someone. Because I'm, for instance, I'm a white cisgender man from the global north. So yes, I'm oppressing my country by the ruling class, but come on, as opposed to a Muslim woman living uh, well, in the US post-Trump. Oh. I'm an oppressor. So, and, and Trump is somehow the, the archetype of reverse intersectionality. He ha- has all the privileges, all the violence, all the hatred from the dominant classes, from, 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 from the ruling class. So this provides a clear roadmap. If we want to fight him, we have to build an intersectionality between climate gender, race, social issues. That's the first thing. Then the second thing is we have also to acknowledge that the tools of physics, the laws of physics, are not strong enough any longer. If they were strong enough, then Trump would have never been elected, not only because of the laws of physics that deal with the climate, but because there are also a truth which is that we are all equal. No race is, you know, better, stronger than any other. Yet, this guy has been elected. So we cannot build our agenda on climate or any other issues, only on the assumption that we are right, because we know the truth. We do, of course, we have the facts, we have the evidence on, on climate, but it's not enough. So we have to get back to affects. Talk about affects how people are affected by climate change, how communities are being destroyed by fossil fuel infrastructures, how people suffer from atmospheric pollution, how workers from the fossil fuel industry suffer from cancer because they work in a coal mine, how they are losing jobs, everything, starting from the effects, is also very important. And, and it's challenging because I think the left usually, or the progressists, have always, you know, build their movements on the idea of truth and teleology. That, you know, there was a truth, and that from that truth you could build a process towards emancipation. Well, we have to get to bring back some affects, some feelings, which is actually, with all of course, you know, the sadness and the shock and the dangers that Trump and his world uh, uh, represent, there's also some hope and something to learn from that.
1: So we, we need to bring emotion into the climate yeah, fight. emotions,
0: definitely. I mean,
1: we know that very well at 350, right, because of course 350 is
0: a very uh, interesting organization, including from the name, right, 350.org org refers to parts per millions. So, so, so our organization was created on the idea that we should mobilize around molecules, but that it was actually not just about molecules, but millions of lives. And, and I think that this, this shift from molecules to millions of lives that we managed to make with many others is, is, a, is a very good step forward. But now we also have, you know, not just to look back at the mass, at the science, at the carbon budget, but also at the emotions, at the feelings, at the effects of people, because we are all already affected by climate change. So some and millions of people, much more than I am. So we have to build from them rather than from me, but we can really build a powerful
1: movement based on that. Thanks so much for joining me, Nicholas. Thank you, thank you so much. That was Nicholas Hanger, a campaigner with 350.org. And that's it for now, but I will have one or two more things for you um, in the next couple of days that I recorded here in Marrakesh, Morocco. So bye for now and talk to you soon.